0: Let's turn to Philippians 2 this morning, Philippians 2, and we're going to read verses 8 through 11 for the text of our study, the exaltation of Christ. Philippians 2, 8 through 11, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself To the glory of God the Father. Today we're going to look at what sadly is a little known aspect of the work of our Savior, something that is called the exaltation of Christ. Uh, In eternity, before the foundation of the world, the members of the great triune Godhead agreed in the everlasting covenant to provide for accomplish, and apply salvation for an elect people. Now, the work of God the Son in carrying out His covenant responsibilities is referred to as His work as mediator. In accepting the office as mediator, Christ the Son voluntarily put Himself in a position of subordination to the Father and was subject to orders from his Father's throne. The agreement of God the Son was to come to the earth as a man, obey God's law perfectly, and then die in behalf of his elect people. This coming to earth as a man to suffer and die for sinners was a matter of great humiliation to Him. Verse 8 of our text describes this humiliation. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. God the Son came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ to serve as our surety in order to satisfy our sin debt, to satisfy God's justice for our sins. And Galatians 3.13 says he was made a curse for us. Uh, our guilt, Isaiah 53.6 says that our guilt was transferred to him. The Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 4 says that our punishment for sin was inflicted on Him. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Another part of that covenant agreement among the members of the Godhead was that the reward for Christ's humiliation and suffering would be. That when his work of redemption was finished, he would be exalted to the place of highest dignity and honor. God the Father would reward him. Psalm 118, 22 and 23 says that it would be God the Father who would reward Christ for his suffering. Let's turn to that. Psalm 118, 22 and 23 Psalm 118:22 and 23 The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner that's his exaltation this is the Lord's doing that is the father it is marvelous in our eyes now, all during his suffering and death, the Lord Jesus looked forward to his reward. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us about this expectation. Let's turn to Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because Jesus Christ finished this work, and when he had finished this work, God exalted him. Verses 8 and 9 of our text back in Philippians 2 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, or because of this, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. But what exactly is Christ's exaltation? What is the reward he has received from the Father for his redemptive work? Well, according to the scriptures, Christ's exaltation consists of four things. And these four things are the heart of this study today. So the first thing involved in Christ's exaltation is His resurrection. When the Lord Jesus had laid down His life on the cross and had been in the grave for three days and three nights, God put His soul back into Him and brought Him out of the sepulcher. In rising from the dead, Jesus Christ got the victory over death, which is the wages of sin. In raising Him from the dead... God put his public seal of approval and acceptance on him and his redemptive work. That's how we know that God accepted the redemptive work of Christ. He raised him from the dead. Well, let's, let's read Romans 1, 4 here, and then we're going to look at a verse in Acts. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. Romans chapter 1 verse 4 okay, And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead and then Acts 17:31 we comment. Acts 17 verse 31 Talking about God here. Acts 17 31 Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him From the dead. So one one preacher said the cross is the payment for our sin, and the resurrection is the receipt. Christ's resurrection is clear evidence that God had accepted his sacrifice for sin, that he has been fully satisfied for our sins. By the suffering of Jesus Christ. Now if Christ had not risen from the dead. It would argue that God's justice had not been satisfied for our sins. So the first part of Christ's exaltation is his resurrection. The second thing involved in that exaltation is his ascension. And this took place 40 days after his resurrection. He ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives on the eastern side of Jerusalem near the town of Bethany. The eleven disciples and possibly others were standing there watching as he ascended. In our human nature and as our head, the Lord Jesus visibly went up into heaven, his whole Human nature was taken up. He ascended back to heaven from where he had descended when he undertook the office of mediator. Well, let's look at the scriptures that tell us of Christ's ascension. First, look at Luke twenty-four fifty and 51. Luke 24, verses 50 and 51. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Next look at Acts 1, 9 and 10. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Scripture says here, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Now one more, Ephesians 4 and verse 10. Ephesians 4, verse 10. This is speaking of Christ's ascension when it says that he ascended up above all heavens, meaning the heaven, first heaven, heaven uh, 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 of the clouds, he went up above that. Second heaven, heaven of the stars, went up above that. Ephesians 4:10 He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Well let's look at one more Hebrews 9:11 Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. I believe that's a reference to his ascension back to heaven. Well, that brings us to the third thing involved in Christ's exaltation, and that's what we call his session, his session. What did Christ do when he ascended into heaven? Well, the first thing he did was to sit down. The word session comes from the Latin word sessio, and it means simply to be seated. And we use the term session in our legal system today when we say court is now in session. That means that the judge has arrived and has been seated and business can now be conducted. Psalm 110 and verse 1 tells us prophetically what God the Father said to Jesus Christ when he arrived in heaven. Turn to Psalm 110 and verse 1. Psalm 110 and verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now it's important to note here just where the Lord Jesus sat down when he ascended to heaven. The scriptures tell us that he sat down at the Father's right hand. For example, turn to Mark 16, 19. Mark chapter 16, verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Now look at Ephesians one twenty. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Paul speaks here of God's mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Look at one more, just one more scripture here, Colossians 3 and verse 1. Colossians 3 and verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now this, this uh, seating is based on the custom of kings in Bible times who placed at their right hands and next to themselves those on whom they wish to confer favor and honor and perhaps the classic example is uh Solomon and his mother Bathsheba turn to 1 Kings 219 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 19 this tells how Solomon placed his mother Bathsheba at his right hand when he sat on his throne, thus giving her the place of favor and honor. Bathsheba therefore went unto King Solomon to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set for the king's mother, and she sat on his right hand. Now, the right hand speaks of the place of great honor. Turn to Hebrews 1, 3. We're going to sum this all up in a minute after we look at these scriptures. Hebrews 1, verse 3. It says here that Christ is on the right hand of God, who, being in the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The father putting Christ on his right hand spoke of the great honor he has given Christ as the mediator. Now turn to Ephesians one twenty one, which tells us that Christ now sits on the right hand of God. Ephesians one twenty one, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So there is no honor or dignity greater than what the Lord Jesus now has in heaven. No one in heaven or on earth can be superior to him. The man Christ Jesus, who once walked the crowded streets of Jerusalem and the dusty roads of Galilee, now sits on the throne in heaven, and angels bow down to him. Christ being seated at the Father's right hand signifies a number of very important things about our exalted Savior. And I want us to look at those briefly here. First of all, it signifies the completion of all of Christ's work of redemption on this earth. He had to finish all this work before he returned to glory. And when he had finished, he sat down in heaven. Look at Hebrews 10, 12. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Second, Christ sitting down at God's right hand signifies the satisfaction of the Father with the work that the Son had done. His being seated there shows us that Christ's redemptive work for dying sinners is very pleasing to the Father. The work was done, the Father was satisfied, the Son sat down. Thirdly, Christ being seated at the Father's right hand signifies the great honor and dignity to which he has been promoted in heaven. While he was here on this earth, the Lord Jesus experienced great humiliation. He was despised and rejected of men. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. He was oppressed and afflicted. But now he is exalted to the highest honor. As Psalm 118, 22 and 23 says, he has become the headstone of the corner. And this means that he has the chief place of honor in the building of God. He's the headstone. We read it earlier. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of of the corner this is the lord's doing it is marvelous in our eyes he was crucified he is now enthroned he who once lay in the grave now reigns in glory god has now given him more honor as mediator than he had ever given any angel look at hebrews 113 may still be there in that book, Hebrews 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? That's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is none of the angels. Christ is more exalted than all of the angels. Our text in Philippians 2.9, says that God has given him a name above every name. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Fourthly, Christ being seated at God's right hand signifies that God has given him sovereign authority and power over all things. He's at the throne, on the throne. Therefore, he has all authority and power. Again, our text says in Philippians 2, 9 and 10, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. When the Lord Jesus arrived in heaven, the Father put all things under his feet, according to Ephesians one twenty and through twenty two. And in let's turn to that Ephesians one twenty and twenty two. In his exaltation he is head over all principalities and powers, all spirit beings, good and evil. Ephesians one twenty through twenty two, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, just as he was about to ascend into heaven, all power, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus Christ now has in his hand the administration and government of all things. This management of all things is being carried on by the Lord Jesus right now. You know, we're tempted to think that everything's going to the dogs. Well, whatever happens, it's in the hands of the Lord. He's directing it. He's governing it. Charles Spurgeon in commenting on this passage said that Christ directs the movement of the stars rules the armies of heaven restrains the rage of his adversaries and reigns in providence and in grace. Hebrews 1:3 says he upholds all things by the word of his power. Revelation 1:18 says now He now has the keys of hell and of death. He has the administration of all things put into his hands so that he can give salvation to sinners. Turn to Acts 5.31. Acts chapter 5 and verse 31. subject is Christ here and 531 says him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins seated on his royal throne He dispenses through His Spirit that salvation which He revealed as a prophet and accomplished as a priest in His humiliation. His power in this regard is infinite. He is able, emphasize that word, He is able to save them to the uttermost who come unto God by Him. He is able to keep us from falling. He is able to subdue all things unto himself. This very day, today, he can send forth salvation to the ends of the earth so that if he chooses, multitudes will believe and be saved. Oh, that he would do so. He has also been exalted at the Father's right hand so he can act as intercessor For his people. Look at Romans 8.34. Romans chapter 8. Verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also maketh intercession for us. All of this activity of Christ in heaven today, we call his session. That's a good word to know. If you read very much about the Bible at all, you'll come across that word, Christ's session. That's what he's doing as he, right now as he's seated at the Father's right hand. Well, the fourth thing involved in Christ's exaltation is his coming to judge the world. Father has made him judge of the world as a reward for his bloody sufferings and death. Jesus Christ, as a man, will visibly manage the day of judgment. Look what Paul says in Acts 17.31. We read this earlier, but look at it again, Acts 17.31. Christ will be managing the day of judgment. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. At the judgment, God the Son will appear in his human nature so he may be seen and heard by all. Think what an awesome scene that will be. All men who ever have or will live on this planet will then be assembled before this judge to give account of all of their deeds, all of their words, and all of their thoughts. All kings and presidents and prime ministers of earth will stand Trembling before him in that day, waiting for their sentences from his mouth. At this judgment, he will be seated on a great white throne, and all men and demons will be assembled before him. Look at Revelation 20, 11 and 12. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. How great will be Christ's glory in men's eyes when they see him on the throne for judgment on their sins. His presiding at the judgment will forever remove the shame and disgrace of the cross. So we have seen that the exaltation of Christ consists in four things. Can you remember them? his resurrection, his ascension, his session, and his coming to judge the world. Turn to Revelation 5, 6. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. Here we're shown a very expressive vision of the exalted Christ. All of Christ's sufferings and work on earth and all of his reward and glory in heaven are seen clearly in this single picture of Christ as the Lamb in the midst of the throne. Revelation 5, 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a Lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. So here John is given a view of the exalted Savior. And in this view, his being called a lamb reminds us of the things through which he passed in providing our redemption, his suffering and death. A lamb as it had been slain points to the atonement made by his suffering. It refers back to the Passover lamb and the other lambs in Old Testament worship, which were types of Christ, the final sacrifice for sin. It is this lamb slain that has been exalted. The fact that he is seen in the midst of his Father's throne, surrounded by saints and angels, speaks of his exaltation. His being in the midst of the throne speaks of the glorious rewards he received for his obedience. The glory of Christ in heaven is great. We've never seen it. But some of us here this morning will no doubt see it soon. We long to see that sight. That we may behold his glory. The glory which he gained by his redemptive work here on the earth. Sinner friend here today, Christ's exaltation shows you who he is. And, And it shows you that you have neglected and rejected him. Are you resisting him whom God has exalted? If you resist this exalted Christ, you do it at your own peril. How can you refuse to trust in this one whom the Father has seated on his right hand? If you refuse him as Savior today, you'll not be able to escape him as judge in that future day. How can you escape if you reject this one who's been so exalted and so enthroned in heaven? Make this judge your friend now by believing and trusting him for salvation. Spare no effort to make sure you will stand before him in in his own righteousness instead of your own. Bow at his feet. Worship him with loving reverence today. Let us pray. Our Father, we're grateful for the exalted Christ we pray that through this, you'll give us, through this study, you'll give us a glimpse of His great glory, his awesome majesty. May we bow at his throne in worship today. May we recognize His sovereign authority over all things and live our lives in light of that. We rejoice, and we pray that you'd help us to rejoice in this exalted Savior today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next time, the Lord willing, we'll study the ascension. We're going to focus more closely on the ascension of Christ. Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. You're dismissed.